0: And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, Sometimes I ask God, really? (laughs) And it's, you know, I I go through passages of scripture. I I write down, I don't think about this, but I keep track of what I preach. You know, uh, they keep track in the back too. They've got a list of, you know, the titles and scriptures and things like that. And so we, we stay pretty current in knowing what I have preached be easy to go back and look. Um, And so I come to this passage of Scripture and I go, Lord, I think we covered this one. And he goes, no, let's do it again. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we spent a lot of time looking at that initially. And the only thing I can think of is that when I come back to the Scripture, it's sort of like spring training. God says you just need to go over this regularly and look at it maybe from a different angle. Uh, to think of it in a different way or turn the jewel, is in essence, see a different facet. And so, hopefully, that's what this is tonight as we look at growing deeper and reaching wider. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their multitude daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Acts Thank you for what you teach us, and thank you for those who have gone before us and laid the foundation for what we should do. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. When I think of a growing church, it is both a church that has quality and quantity. There needs to be both for a church to be growing uh, their are always issues in church plateauing and going in different ways. But ultimately, you want to see quality as well as quantity. And so that really gives you the idea, I think, of the message growing deeper and reaching wider. I don't know. When you think about growing deeper, I, I think about plants. My family likes to grow things, and they're involved in, in planting. And so when I think of plants, obviously I think of roots Uh, Have you ever seen a plant that grows deeper and not taller? I have not. Generally, when they grow deeper, the roots go down and the plant grows taller because it has that root system to give it stability and to draw nutrients and water from Reaching wider, I think, is something a little bit different. I think, uh, uh, you know, how far can my arm reach? And I can tell you, as a five-foot-something person, uh, trying to reach a light bulb, it's pretty short. (laughs) I can't, you know, I'm I'm constantly looking for a stool or a a ladder or something. You know, uh, I just cannot reach. I can't even reach those blinds over there. That just frustrates me to no end. You know, so it's just like, that's called tall guys to come take care of that, you know. Uh, The idea here is... I, I. We want to reach more people. We want to grow deep, yes, but we want to reach those we have not reached yet. Growing deeper or reaching wider. Because the problem is stagnant churches. Some studies, and this is what I gather from that idea of growing, is that some churches, after 10 years of existence, cease their growing and only grow biologically. What I mean by that, that's well, just the people within the body of the church. Add kids and grandkids and things like that. And they just don't reach other people. And that seems to be a uh, statistic that holds true. It's one reason why a lot of uh, denominations are involved in starting new congregations. Uh, church planting is what it's called. Because uh, newer, newer congregations tend to grow faster. So wh- where, do I, where do I place my emphasis? Do I place it on a church that's stagnant? Yes, it needs help, but would it be better to start new churches and see them grow faster because that's the statistic in a way it generally works? Um, we might not like that statistic, but that seems to be the way it bears itself out. So tonight, what I want to do is help us to learn from the early church things that they did to grow deeper and to reach wider. First of all, growing deeper. We uh, look at the issue of who needs to grow deeper. Well, I tried to think a list of some people, you know, if we need to grow deeper, who needs to grow deeper? I think first of all people who have just received Christ need to grow deeper. Wouldn't you agree? They need to know Jesus better. They need to develop in Him. They're, they're that new soil. They've just received the Word. It's just been engrafted into them. And and they should desire to grow deeper or else that seed will not grow. It's like the seed and the thrower and the sower as those seeds hit sometimes soil that's hard and it can't take and grow. We want those to hit some soil and allow them to be able to develop. So I think people who just receive Christ. I think people who are suffering from trials and persecution. <clears throat> You look at 2 Peter, and you know they certainly believe that, that people needed to grow and develop because they're in the midst of trials and suffering. The devil uses those to make us stumble and to fail, and yet God uses the very same trial as a test to develop us and strengthen us in the middle of the storm as we depend on his grace, we grow. And like the apostle who prayed that God remove that from him three times. Paul said that thorn's just not going away, but his grace is sufficient. And so he developed and he grew. He grew deeper. I think people who live and work among unbelievers need to grow deeper. We're supposed to be able to answer every man of the hope that is within us. If we do not have an answer, we can't tell them why the hope's there. We need to grow deeper. And the problem is that in midst of living among unbelievers, there is temptation. Is there not? I mean, if you've ever worked in a job where the people around you are not predominantly Christian, you know the temptation that hits you every day. They, they even seem to rejoice in the fact that they're trying to get you to do something they know you shouldn't or don't want to do. So we've got that temptation out there, and, and we have to be able to say no with confidence. I know why I'm saying no, and I know why I don't want to do this. No. Teresa and I have always thought it amazing over the years. Family members would ask me and her to do things on Sunday. It's like, you know what I do, right? Well, you know, you can miss every now and then. And and that's not, no, it's not the way that works. I mean, can you just take off work and anytime you want to and do anything you want to? I, I don't think that works exactly like that. And, and then I would have people who would, some, some family members, I mean, seriously, they, they would say, hey, why don't you go with me? And, you know, we always go out to, uh, you know, this little place, and this little place literally is probably a bar. You know, when they say that, they don't say it's a bar. Then we go to this little place, and, we, you know, we just meet with some friends and stuff like that. Said, is it a bar? Well, yeah. I said, I don't think I need to go there. <laughs> we, we lived in Oklahoma City, and right in our, next to our parking lot was a bar. And we had to go talk to them occasionally because their, the employees or customers would take advantage of our parking and we needed our parking. And so I'd say, hey, Deacon, come go with me. We're going to the bar because <laughs> I'm not going in there by myself. I'm taking somebody with me so everybody understands what's going on here. You know? And by the way, those are dark places. I, I was always amazed. Open the door and it's like, I can't see anything in here. But they would ask me to go and it's like, I can't, I, I don't want to do that. And I would tell them why. People who live and work among unbelievers. I think also people who need to grow deeper are people who are in, let's say, the service. And I don't mean military service. I mean the Lord's service. Who minister for him. Those who do work for him need to grow deeper. Whatever kind of ministry you have. And, And I don't think of me just being the only one in ministry. We all have ministry. And some of us have more formal titles, and some of us have committees that we serve on that are a little bit more organized in that ministry. But you all have some sort of ministry, and you need to grow deeper, I think, because the devil puts a priority on leaders, people who minister and touch other people's lives. If I can make them fall, Satan would say... It will affect a lot of people, and you know that to be true. How often is it when we see some minister on television or uh, news that has done something and has fallen from his position because of some overt sin? How many people does that affect? Hundreds, (gasps) maybe even thousands. Is it any wonder that people who need to grow deeper are those who are in ministry because there are people in leadership, if Satan can destroy them, he can destroy a lot of lives. I think in other words, when you look at that list, uh, people who receive Christ, people who are suffering, people who work among unbelievers and people who are in ministry or in service for the Lord, that's just about everybody. All Christians need to grow deeper. It's just part and parcel of who we are, regardless of the number of years you've been a Christian or the length of ministry or the time and service. No one is exempt here from developing and growing deeper. If you claim you're a Christian, then you aim to grow deeper in your walk with the Christian life. You know, when I use the illustration of of something like a plant that grows deeper, I recognize that plants have life cycles and, and that, you know, some are annual, some are biannual, some just grow and, you know, that's it and we're done. But that's not true with you and I. We never stop growing and developing, growing deeper. only grow bigger and bigger and I think of those giant redwoods in the United States that people can drive cars through you know that ought to be our goal not 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 the ochre in the backyard (laughs) not that deep that I can reach down and jerk it up but a redwood that ought to be what I envision my life being like as I grow deeper for the Lord you know and in other words I, I think how is the next step. We should grow deeper. I think we devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings. That's what it said in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the disciples' teachings, the apostles' teachings. And it was synonymous with teaching the Word, the Word of God. Now, you and I both know that at that time, the Word consisted of the Old Testament and those stories that those apostles had in dealing with Jesus that had not yet been written down and codified into what we call the New Testament... But at that point, they still could tell them what Jesus had done and their experience with Jesus and how that worked out in their life. You look in this passage of Scripture, and you know, as you read in Acts chapter 2 and 3, some 3,000 souls were added to the church. And, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching that very same day. The apostles put importance on Growing those people, having them sit down and listen to the word of God. And it is this event that made those new believers grow and mature. You and I both know it just doesn't it's not like a, a program where we, we load up every day and God sticks some new stuff in and we're updated. It'd be fun if that was the way it is, but that's not the way it works. It's through studying the word, rightly dividing the word of truth and maturing and growing by putting that word to practice. You and I grow and develop. Those verses in the Bible that give a a great deal of of emphasis on teaching and learning the word. I think of Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written therein, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Or I look at, Psalm 119, I mean, how many verses through Psalm 119 talk about the law, the statutes, the word, you know, all those words that are used as synonyms for God's word over and over and over again. Just that one chapter in the middle of the Bible in Psalm 119 tells us about how important it is to understand God's word to grow and to develop. Multiple verses tell us that. I think we devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings and also with the fellowship with fellow believers. We, I've used the phrase a couple times in the past few weeks, no man is an island, and if that is the case, uh, I firmly believe that every Christian cannot stand alone by himself or herself. It's not possible. It's true that God is there to help us. But it's also true that he empowers each of you with specific gifts to help the rest of us be ministered to and accomplish his will. I have a gift, you have a gift, you use those gifts, those gifts multiply, and it helps me to be a better person, it helps you to be a better person. Fellowshipping means gathering together as one. You read in the New Testament, those words are used over again, and they were in one place, and they were one of quarter, they were one mind. That, that was fellowship, that's what fellowship meant to them. It's a gathering where one needs in its utmost importance to be of one mind together with the people who are there. It's edification. It's encouragement. It's the fanning of the flames of that maturity that you're hopefully developing that that wants you to continue to grow and to develop. And it's all done in love. It's done because you need it and because I need to minister Those things help us to develop fellowship. But today, in most churches, fellowship's an activity. It's not a mindset. It's it's an event. Uh, You know, we always joked growing up, fellowship was in the basement of Springdale Baptist Church, Pink Punch, and Stale Cookies. (laughs) You know, that that was fellowship. Let's go have fellowship. You know, and that's not what fellowship is. The simple truth is, tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you who you are. Who you're around, and who you feed off of, and who feeds you, develop you as a Christian. I think thirdly, in in that growing deeper, is remember the message of the Last Supper. I can't think about growing deeper without thinking about how I got there. Even as we look at the morning message over the next couple of weeks, and Think about that issue of Jesus and holding bread and breaking it and blessing it and, and giving it. I remember the Lord's Supper. They gathered together, they broke bread. The breaking of bread becomes for you and I an ordinance. This do in remembrance of me. As often as you do it, remember certain things. It helps me to remember the death, the burial and resurrection of the Lord and Savior. Review with me again, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. For I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night that he bet- was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. To break bread means to remember Jesus' death on the cross. I, through that activity, remind myself what it took for me to have the grace of God and forgiveness. It acknowledges that Jesus paid the ransom for my my life. Were it not for his sacrifice, I could never have approached God. I couldn't have offered enough. I couldn't have lived good enough. I never could get across that bridge of my sin. But Jesus broke that. And paid the sacrifice. I look at that last supper and I remember that I have to identify with Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm reminded that our sin has been crucified with Jesus on the cross. And now I'm dead to that sin. And I need to live that way every day. I remind myself that. That helps me to see that when I look at the Lord's Supper. The price that was paid. I remember Jesus' resurrection. And I think about the second coming. As I remember that he's coming again, I think how he was raised and his promise to the disciples that this was not the end. When I break bread, I think it's a declaration of faith. These are things in which I believe. I believe in what Jesus did. I believe he was resurrected three days after he was in the tomb. Although I didn't see it, it's an act of faith, isn't it? When I break that bread, I'm reminded of what he did and that I believe that. I have faith in that. I think it's also promised to us that one day our Lord will come back. John chapter 14, I go prepare a place. Prepare a place, I'll come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. I have not seen that place, but I believe it. When we were looking for a house in Edmond where we live, I looked at a lot of houses. I saw a lot of houses. I walked through a lot of houses. Uh, I, i saw places i could live and eventually it came to the place where we live now and you looked at it and said this is where i want to live i i haven't done that in heaven i accept by faith that he's preparing a wonderful place for me that when i leave this life to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord i have that promise from him And so when I break that bread, I'm reminded of all those things. And every time we receive the Lord's Supper, I think it ought to be an opportunity for us to grow deeper in our relationship with him. I think another way we grow deeper in our relationship with him is that we pray, pray, pray. Right? That we pray to him. There's an old adage, more prayer, more power. Uh, It's been used many years by many people uh, to emphasize the need and necessity for prayer. But that quotation, I think, is used widely, and sometimes it gets abused widely. It is prayer that the early church experienced when they experienced the work of God. That was dramatic when they prayed. They received the promise of the filling of the Holy Spirit while they were praying. They were praying when... Paul or Peter was released by an angel in prison cell. It was that Paul and Silas managed to escape prison as well. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Mighty things happened in their lives during prayer. It was a lifestyle of that church. Prayer in our times seems that prayer isn't as quite powerful. Maybe even it's abused. We just rattle it off quickly and we move on without always thinking about it. Prayer meetings are now seen, again, as activities. Very small m- number of members attend. I mean, in relation to church, you think about a Wednesday prayer meeting and a lot of people have other things to do. It's not quite like Sunday morning, and there isn't in, in any church that I've been a part of. There, there, there are moments in which you say, we want to have a prayer time, and people almost cringe, you know. Why is that? When I look at the New Testament and I see the power that's involved in prayer, should I not want to get plugged in and get the power that I need to do everything? Imagine teaching people without prayer. I can't. I mean, uh, I'm trying to communicate eternal things of God, and without his assistance, I don't think that is possible. I need him, and I get that through prayer. I believe that prayer is not taught so much it is caught you see someone or experience someone who obviously has a connection with God through prayer Jesus just didn't teach the disciples how to pray he showed them how to pray by his lifestyle when they asked to be taught to pray he gave them a sample prayer but he did it every day a great while before morning Jesus rose up as was his custom to what? to pray he showed them the importance of prayer. Second, reaching wider. We need to grow deeper, but we need to reach wider. Who are the people that need to be reached? Well, I think first of all, the reach. The first group that needs to learn how to reach wider are those who are already deeper in the Lord. Those are the brethren, the sisters, those who know the Lord. I think we should think about the church and the love that the Bible says we should have for one another that will be proof of who we are. They'll know we're Christians by our love. We sing that song, but it also really comes from the Bible when it says love one another. Love one another. We must do the same thing today. If I'm going to reach, I need to reach the people first who are here, who are the brethren, and show my love to them. It's not that I'm ignoring the people out there. They're another group. The reachable. I think you can think of of, of the reachable in two categories. First, the reachable for me is the ones that we would call our household. The Greek word for that is oikos. That's the family. Uh, We can think of ourselves as the family of God, an oikos of God, a household of God. But you also have a household. You have family, immediate family. Family that are reachable. People who are within our reach, they are our acquaintances as well. You can think about your friends who are in that oikos. They're in, really, they're in your family. You think of them like family many times. We talk to them regularly. We set dates with them. Uh, it's not much of a problem to get a hold of them. I can call them and say, hey, come over to the house and watch football, or let's go out and have a meal, or go watch a movie. Those are the kind of people I'm talking about that are friends and family. Reachable people are in the circle of our lives Literally within our reach, we can reach out and touch them. But not for the purpose of bringing them to Jesus sometimes. Sometimes it's just for our own edification and fun. When really it should be our mental thought that every experience I have with people ought to be a way to bring someone to Christ. They're the reachable. Then there are the unreached people the people who have not been reached, the ones I don't know, the ones that are outside of my awareness, the ones I've not yet met but I need to meet, those are the people who are not in my oikos. They're not in my uh, household group of people. They're outside my circle of friends. Of course, I need to reach them too. But that takes extra effort, doesn't it? It takes harder work. To find those people and to be a part of their lives, how do I reach wider then? There's a number of ways I think you can do it. First of all, uh, in the New Testament, uh, verse 43 would be called power evangelism. It was through the power that God exhibited that people were drawn to the church. They couldn't deny the power of God. Now, I'm not saying that we need to lay hands on people and do miracles or things like that. But I think we need to confess to the people around us that God's involved in our lives and the great things He's done. And as we do that, we show the power of God. And I think that's an evangelistic tool. Here's how God has helped me. Here's how I was and here's how I am now. God helped me get there. Or the prayers that you prayed and you knew that God intervened or when the doctor said, I don't have any clue how this happened, but you're well. Oh, we go, I know. God. And I give him credit and I give him glory for that. Peter preached and 3,000 people believed and were added to the church that's power evangelism i also think servant evangelism verses 44 through 45 they lived in a a communal setting so to speak you read that that they sold the possessions that they had but it wasn't for the the owner's gain but to meet the needs of anyone who had need that's servanthood that's servant evangelism I think body evangelism, verse 46, they met daily in temple courts. The Bible says the whole church gathered in that court place. We talked about that a number of uh, months ago, maybe even now a year and a half, where it was like more than two football fields in length. That's why 3,000 people could meet there. Uh, They they couldn't meet in the houses as one large group, but they met there. And there the apostles preached, and the other people watched is they grew and they grew and they grew. That was a body evangelism. The church went not to the corner of the city, but the center of the city and let everyone see who they were and that they were a body. I think also there's oikos evangelism. There's that word again, uh, home evangelism. If you think of a home in that day, you probably couldn't get more than 20 people crammed in a home of that, Type of house. I mean, I can get a lot more than twenty people crammed in my house today, but back then, that's about all they could do. That and it and it says they went from house to house. They were near each other. They were friends with each other. They they knew each other. The early church focused on evangelism through households by a household evangelism, inviting people over and ministering to them and sharing, in essence, Jesus with them in that household setting. You read Acts sixteen. 31, I think you can get that picture. I think also, how do I say it? Life testimony evangelism. The church found favor with the people. And I don't mean testimony in the sense I want to tell you about Jesus, but how they lived, their life testimony. Does what I do match up with what I say about Jesus? And their life evangelism brought people to the church. They had favor with the people. They looked at them, and they, they believed that they were the people they said they were. And they let them share the gospel with them. You know, I think sometimes I don't know my neighbor. They're a stranger. But my neighbor seems to know a lot about me. <laughs> they know when I'm happy. They know when I'm sad. They know when I'm angry. They know when I'm joyous. Maybe it's harder to witness to those people who are around us than it is people who have never met me before. People in my neighborhood know me. They can see me. They can see how I act. I think that's the way we have to live in a, in a, a life testimony evangelism. The early church was doing it right, and they came together... And they enjoyed the favor of the people around them because of the way they lived. Now, they they weren't doing it to to engender favor with those people, to, I want to make you like me, but just the way they lived made people want to be around them. You see, you you look at the New Testament, and you look at the way some of those cities lived, and you recognize they were godless, They were horrible places to live. And then you had this pocket of Christians who treated people fairly and nicely and loved them and cared about them and did things and went the extra mile. Why wouldn't you want to be around people like that? And people wanted to. I think a lifestyle evangelism. And I look back at that and I remind myself, and the Lord added to their number daily. I have to remind myself it's the Lord that adds people to the church. I mean, I, I start off with talking about quality and quantity, and the first thing we go is, oops, you know, not a whole lot of quantity. But I have been reminded, Adrian Rogers said it many years ago, it's not your responsibility to fill the pews, but to fill the pulpit as a pastor. It's my job to preach and to leave to God what he will do with the church. And the same is true for you. I, I share with you all those evangelistic ways that you can be involved in a person's life and, and yet we don't feel dissuaded if it doesn't happen how we think it should happen. I just have to be faithful and leave the rest to God. It's his responsibility to do what he, he will add to the church. Our work is to minister to the people around us. The Bible says "And the Lord added to their number not just to their spiritual growth. He did both. God is, I think, number conscience. He cares about every one of us. He knows numbers. I've, had, I've been in churches where you know people, I, I, I served in an associational level, and I, I was trying to get uh, statistics from churches so that we could do our numbers and show where we were going and plot things and whatever. And there's some churches that never wanted to give statistics. I think partially they were embarrassed. But others, because they believed that numbers counting was wrong somehow. Don't you know God counts noses? He counts the hair on your head. Doesn't he? You know what the Bible says? He knows you. He knows who you are. He counts. He wants you to be with him in heaven. I think the Lord adds those who are being saved, the Bible says, at the end of the chapter. Hopefully the people who are being added to church are saved people, right? Now you and I don't know We might have someone come down the aisle. We might experience someone. They may fool us. They may go through the baptismal waters. They may transfer a letter. They may tell us that they're saved. And maybe they are, maybe they're not. Again, I'm not the judge. God is. And so I have to depend on him to add those to the church that are saved. No person was added to the church unless they had experienced a change in who they were. Salvation. Redeemed. So, I think we should not believe in the principle that says it's okay if we're a small number as long as we have quality. Uh, God's concerned about both. We can't give in to that mindset. A church who grows in quality, I think ultimately we have a church who can grow in quantity. A growing church is a missionary church. A growing church has missionary Christians in it who care about the reachable and the unreached. That should be our focus. That should be our challenge. And Lord, lead me to that place where I'm that kind of person. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you and thank you for your word and what it teaches us. We pray that you lead us and guide us as we look uh, fresh and anew at Acts chapter 2 tonight, a passage that we know, a passage that we've studied before, and yet you tell us new things every time we come to your word. You remind us of what we should be about. So I pray that we would be about your business, that we would be those who seek to minister to the reachable and the unreachable both, that they might be added daily to your church. We pray in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. And I want to thank you again. I have hundreds of reasons to thank you for your gifts this morning. And we certainly appreciate your generosity. God bless.